Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, December 16th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We get some tips on how to keep you and your family safe during the holiday season. Next, it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney takes the time to answer coronavirus questions as sent in by you, the listener. With the rollout now underway, what do Canadians need to know about the legalities and liabilities of a COVID-19 vaccine? We dig into the topic with personal injury lawyer Jasmine Dea. And finally, looking for a good read this holiday break? We meet Calgary author Valerie Dunsmore and chat about her debut novel, Rabbit, Rabbit, Rabbit. Very happy to have uh, Chief Mark Newfeld from the Calgary Police Service. We try to catch up with him each and every month, and this is more of a, a holiday edition to a certain extent, so we'll get right to it. Good morning to you, Chief Newfeld. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Let's talk about the time, and you know we have restrictions at the malls, no question, uh, but this is a very similar, almost like a housekeeping note when it comes to the holidays. Perhaps you've been in the mall, maybe you've hit a couple of other local shops, you've got those bags in the car, uh, maybe a, too good of an opportunity for those who, who want to take said gifts. Yeah, very much so. I think there's a real prevention piece to um, holiday shopping and stuff this time of year if you are out uh, doing that. I think we've certainly seen an uptick in the online shopping, but certainly if you're out, leaving packages or valuables uh, visible in your car is just asking for trouble. Chief, I want to talk about this too. This seems an obvious one. How are the stats in Alberta and Calgary specifically, if you can get into that a little bit, but about drinking and driving? We shouldn't have to keep reminding people, but especially at this time of the year, maybe the not the, the big parties we're used to, but still we got to tell people if you, there are so many opportunities and options for you instead of getting behind the wheel, right? Yeah, it's really important, and I think it always bears reminding because as much as I think it's interesting in your social circles, you know, we talk to our, you know folks and nobody seems to do it, yet every year the, mm-hmm. the stats bear out that somebody's doing it. So, yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those things sometimes when people go out to uh, holiday parties, and again, it'll be different this year, but um, sometimes, you know what, you have a little bit too much to drink, and then you're wondering, well, how do I get home, and do I leave my car, and I'll take a chance, and that's very, very risky behavior, and so we really want to warn against that. And it's almost antiquated when we use the term drinking and driving these days, Chief, in the sense that, you know, cannabis certainly legal in our nation now. And I think there was that kind of a gap where people thought, well, if I get pulled over by the CPS, they won't be able to test for cannabis. But that's not the case anymore, is it? No, it isn't. We, we're able to do um, to detect uh, uh, drug impairment as well. We have um, drug recognition experts that can be brought in that can uh, detect uh, impairment by cannabis as well. So, no, that's that's definitely not true. Um, certainly, the science around detection and, and that sort of thing is still evolving, but uh, it certainly can be done, and it is and it is being done. Even with COVID, Chief, will you be doing the CPS doing the check stops for 2020? Yeah, we will continue to do them. Um, you know, we're hoping that the number of house parties and everything is, is going to be down and office parties. Uh, and I, 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 we're certainly seeing that, but uh, our traffic people will still be out. Uh, you know, the bars are still open and some of the places where uh, people go to, even, even though um, hours are restricted, um, there still are opportunities. If you could offer up uh, some clarification, because this is something that, you know, it seems like we've moved the goalposts and we've changed things up over the past few weeks with the new restrictions, even outdoor uh, restrictions. What is the role of the Calgary Police Service when it comes to, you know, uh, the infractions, when it comes to too many people inside or out? 
Yeah, so if, if you, I mean, if somebody uh, sees something, uh, Andrew, that, you know, somebody's having a party or whatever and they and they want to call, that's great. We would come and do that. One of the challenges we have is, of course, um, we balance our duties around enforcement of the COVID-19 restrictions with the other calls and the other priorities that we have um, going. A good example would be um, on Saturday night, the mass gathering or the anti-mask rally downtown. We had our traffic section members assigned to, uh, as part of the resources assigned to that. And then, of course, right at 7 o'clock, we had that terrible fatal collision in the southwest Mm -hmm. so a good number of the resources had to be pulled off of uh the rally there to go down to deal with that uh that bad situation so we you know sometimes if we can get there right away and we can see these things happening it makes it it makes it easier to um to lay a fine and if we don't find it actually occurring then it's it's a bit tougher because now you have to go gather statements from neighbors and do more of an investigation to prove that it happened and of course with the volume of calls and and these issues it it does make it more difficult to do speaking of the anti-mask rally or the freedom march whatever name you want to give it must be frustrating for officers to have to be in the midst of that but they continue to be held a lot of people they text in they ask us why in the world do police not just go and ticket people and break it up yeah, so it's so it's interesting. So we do have officers down there doing kind of crowd control and crowd management, and there's a lot of communication that goes on even behind the scenes with some of the organizers. And and as you know, um, our sort of official messaging has been that we're targeting the organizers to begin with to see if that's uh, a place we can't have some success here. And I think what we really need to do is just get some of these orders and and these tickets before the courts and get some decisions on them. Um, you know, there's folks there that they're not susceptible to education because they've decided that these. Um, orders are not constitutional and and they're not lawful Um, and so that just needs to be tested I mean for us it's nothing personal we do a lot of policing in this city around uh, public order events and demonstrations and generally speaking uh, our role at at those is to get out there and just try to help people to um, facilitate their rights to do that in a way that doesn't infringe on uh, everybody else too badly but you know there's reasonable limits that have been put on those rights uh, at this particular time and they're temporary and they're there because of the the challenges around uh, the global pandemic and the local um, uh, strain on our healthcare system. And so, you know, we're we're just continuing to encourage people to you know use your common sense and good judgment and sense of community, and and don't go out there right now. Uh, you will see enforcement on those uh, increasing. Uh, at those, like I say, we have seen a, a reduction in the numbers. I'm not sure actually if it's enforcement or it's weather, but uh, we have seen a, a bit of a reduction. But I, I think they're planned again for the weekend, and so you can rest assured we'll be out there. You use the term sense of community, Chief, and I notice that more and more communities have uh, social media uh, pages, whether it's uh, Facebook or, or a blog, if you will. And uh, it's interesting because I saw somebody post something. They had some graffiti on their garage, and I've seen people say, you know, look out, uh, the bike was stolen out of the backyard. And one of the, uh, you know, users chimed up and said, be sure to let CPS know about this. I mean, chances are you you might not have a chance to catch these folks. But if you can underscore the importance of in your community reporting uh, what's going on and how that data is used to, to help those communities. Yeah, for sure. It does actually help us uh, in the big picture or develop the big picture in terms of what's going on in different communities. And so, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to um, report. And, you know, these days, some, sometimes I hear people say, well, gosh, I don't want to go in because of, you know, I don't want to have additional interactions or whatever. But we've opened up the cop logic system, the online reporting system. So it's actually quite um, convenient, I think, to report there, to jump online, and you can do that. And it does help us uh, develop that bigger picture. The other thing is, you know, we have seen a big jump in bike thefts. And then earlier this year, um, we uh, developed the program. Um, there's, and the name's escaping me right now, but it's a, a very good program where you can go on and you can register your serial number and that sort of thing. Right, right. 
Yeah, and so we managed actually to uh, reunite a lot of owners with a lot of bikes through that. So I would definitely encourage folks to go online and have a look at that. That's been a, a very successful program. Before we let you go, Chief, and I think, you know, this is probably going to be the last time we chat with you in 2020. So thank you for joining us weekly with your time. I know you're a very busy guy along with the CPS and all the officers that you work with. But overall crime and, uh, you know, sort of a look back on 2020, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's been an unprecedented year in so many ways, um, just dealing with the pandemic and dealing with uh, demonstrations and, and anti-racism efforts and those sorts of things. But, you know, I think I think there's always an opportunity to look uh, for a positive and try to adapt your business in ways. So we're certainly looking to do that. We have again seen uh, this year, um, you know, our, our violent crime numbers are really quite high. Our homicides are higher than they should be. Our numbers of shootings are higher than they should be. We have seen a bit of um, a bit of um, success there with our gang strategy, our renewed gang strategy for this year, in that uh, a smaller proportion of the shootings that we have are attributable to organized crime. So even though the numbers are up a little bit higher than they uh, than they were last year, that's a, a bit of a new driver behind that, and so we're adapting around that too. But it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting time in Calgary, and of course, 2020 is going to be a difficult year to compare to any others. Um, but we're certainly optimistic. Uh, uh, we're ready to be done with 2020 and ready to move into 2021 for obvious reasons. Well, thank you so much and uh, happy holidays to you, Chief. Yeah, you too. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. 8-11 and since the start of the pandemic, yeah, we've been asking your COVID questions to our expert, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. And Dr. Janney joins us once again. Good morning to you. Good morning, both. Thank you so much for being here. We have, as you can well imagine, as we do every time we chat, a long list of questions. So let's get going. This one, uh, we think we've asked it of you many, many times, but we even had it texted in again this morning. So here we go. We're all wearing masks, doctor, but the cases are still going up. So obviously masks don't work, do they? Yeah, no, I, I see this question a lot, and we have to remember that cases are going up because we're also changing other aspects of our lives. We are back in the stores, we're back in school, we're back at the office, back in youth sports. So there's lots of aspects in our life that make viral transmission go up. Masks are bringing it down, but really the, the other activities in life are outpacing the, the level of protection offered by masks. So we do know they protect. We do know that areas, jurisdictions that have mask bylaws have reduced viral transmission compared to neighboring districts. Uh, so we know there's a degree of protection, but it's just unfortunate that the other activities in the community were driving viral infection even faster than masks could bring it down. Dr. Janney, early in the program, we brought to, to light the new numbers of 1,341 new cases yesterday, which is down, when you really look at it, between four and 500. Mm-hmm. And it's the lowest we've seen since November 30th when we had 1,315 new cases. We brought this to light, and uh, somebody texted in and said the numbers are down because we're either not testing as much or simply not testing, and some sites have shut down. So it's in lower testing that we're seeing these lower numbers. I think there is a combination of factors here. I, I do think that, you know, what we're hoping, we're optimistic that the curve is beginning to flatten, and we've seen that for a couple days now, or at least not growing as rapidly, and that's great news. That, that's exactly what we need to happen. We need it to come down, in fact. But if we look at the positivity rate, it only came down a tiny bit. So it came from about 9 to about 8.2. So there was a little drop, but nowhere near as big, and that does suggest that the reduced number may be on that day due to slightly reduced testing. So we 
really have to keep an eye on all the numbers, not just the positive tests, but positivity rate and critically, unfortunately, hospitalizations and intensive care admissions went up. So it's the full spectrum of numbers and really look at one number can be a little deceiving. Doctor, we have heard from Dr. Dean Hinshaw talking a lot about the R factor. What is that? So this is a mathematical representation of how many people an infected person will infect. So an R of one means that for each person who gets the virus, they will pass it on to one other person, which means the number of of people infected will stay steady. We really need R to get below one, ideally below 0.8. And we're getting there. It looks like it has come now below one, which is great, curve stabilizing. If we can get it down to below 0.8, that means the number of new cases will start shrinking day after day after day. And that's what we need to, to be doing right now. We've got a a very specific question that came in on the text line from Pat. It says, two years ago, I had a kidney removed due to cancer. Will the vaccine be safe for me with only one remaining kidney? So all indications I have seen... uh People that, for example, have one kidney are not on an exemption list. So that means they are not being told to avoid the vaccine. But these are conversations you have to have with your doctor. Uh, It's the same issue with allergies, which are on the exemption list. So if you have any underlying medical questions, concerns, please direct them directly to your physician. They have the full list of conditions and can immediately do follow-up if if there are alternatives available. Yeah, allergies, pregnant women, young kids, etc. Absolutely, yes. So there, there will be some that are safe to administer. And importantly, we're going to have additional vaccines in the coming months. So there may be a better option compared to, uh, for example, the, the, the Pfizer vaccine today. So open conversation with your health care provider is the safest way to go with this. Uh, easy question, perhaps the difference between vaccination and inoculation. Are they the same thing? Yeah, pretty much. We have to remember that not every, this vaccine's a little different. It's better than most, but not every time you get that needle are you protected. So, so we're adding the vaccine components to you in hopes that your immune system responds. So there's the intent. This one is really good. 95, 94% of people have protection. Some other vaccines, a little more variable. Not everybody responds to the vaccine. So although you got the shot, you may not have protection. In this case, it's almost exclusively if you get vaccinated, you are going to be protected. This texter has a question Is as far as testing. I've been tested and found negative. When or if should I get re- Should I or if I... Should I get retested is the question. And if so, how many times should I get tested? Or is it a one-and-done thing, Dr. Jenny? So, unfortunately, if you test negative, we are still asking people to undergo the 10-day self-isolation if you've been contacted by a contact tracer, if you believe you've had a close contact. So, the test can fail. If you're beyond that 10 days and you don't suspect you're, you're still infected, there's no need to be retested. So, we do have that, that default, you know, if you, if you have been contacted, if you had a close contact, even if you test negative, we ask you to self-isolate. The difference is if you test negative, there's no follow-up for contact tracing for you to, to reach out to people you may have contacted. Lots more questions. Will you stick around with us for a few more minutes? Of course. Thank you. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the UFC. We'll be back right after the commercials. 819 on the morning news, and uh, he's been gracious enough to spend more time with us. Dr. Craig Janney, Infectious Disease Specialist from the University of Calgary. Next question here, Dr. Janney. Are any of these COVID-19 vaccines live? I'm on medication that I cannot have a live vaccine. Yes, 
so the, the current Pfizer one, the Moderna one, are not live, but there is one that may be approved in the coming months from the University of Oxford that is a live. It's not a coronavirus. It's a different virus, a very safe, very benign virus that is dressed up to look like a coronavirus, so it treats our immune system with no real disease risk of coronavirus. But that one may be different for people that, for example, are immunocompromised. So again, these are conversations definitely to have with your healthcare provider because by the time a live vaccine is approved, we will have options and we'll be able to offer a better option for individual patients. Favor of the mask saying, uh, I'm not wearing a mask. It creates water in the lungs. Everybody knows that. Well, the air in our lungs is already nearly 100% humidified anyway, so um, that, that's a good thing. Moisture in our lungs is a good thing. Water, not so much, and, and masks don't do that. But, you know, uh, that's why we have humidifiers in our houses in Calgary, right? So moist airways, far better for us, actually far harder for a virus to infect us if we keep uh, good moisture in our lungs. So, again, a little bit of a, a benefit of wearing masks. This next question is, you know, more so with the government restrictions, but maybe you can speak to it when it comes to social distancing and perhaps why it was in place. This is the question for the doctor. Why is it being a single person, I'm allowed two people, yet I am not allowed to go to the home of two people? I find it very confusing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand it's confusing. This is really still about trying to limit contacts while balancing things such as mental health, right? We're fully aware that these restrictions are extremely difficult on people, especially people who live alone. So they are trying to you know, walk that tight line of allowing enough social contacts that we all feel better. But still, if there is a viral outbreak, if there is viral inter- virus introduced into that social group, it is extremely limited. And that's why it's individuals and not seeing two households or, or, or other cohorts, because the more people, if the virus is introduced, it means the further it's going to spread. Uh, one last quick question, if we can mm-hmm. squeeze this one in. Uh, so we've talked about, you know, uh, some reactions, very few in terms of numbers that have reacted to the vaccine. Why is it that our bodies don't react or have side effects at this point anyway that we know of? So why, sorry, why we do not have yeah, side effects? Why, why is this vaccine yeah. okay in our bodies? Why does it work that way? So most of the vaccine components are things our body already has. We're just reforming, rebuilding them like Lego blocks. And what we're doing is we're putting in, in the case of the Pfizer vaccine, uh, the, the, the code, the sequence for one of the virus proteins. So when it gets into our body, our body then makes that single virus protein. And that's actually the part we react to. That is what our immune system sees, and it starts building an immune response against that protein. So the rest of the vaccine, for most people, we, it doesn't bother us. It's stuff we encounter you know, in everyday life, things like cholesterol, things like regular salt and other uh, pH adjusters that, that our blood already has. So most of it's pretty benign, and it's really that one protein. And unfortunately, there are some people just as there are some people that are allergic to peanut butter or allergic to shellfish that have an allergy to one of these common ingredients. And what we saw in the Pfizer vaccine is that was two people had a severe reaction out of almost 40,000 people vaccinated. So extremely small percentage, but this is why you do have to have that conversation with your healthcare provider if you have allergies or any other concerns. Dr. Jenny, thanks so much for your time this morning. You're welcome. Take care of both. You too. That is Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary.
6.09 now, and as the federal government launches a new program that will support Canadians who have serious adverse reactions to vaccines, it brings up questions about legalities around them. So to discuss, we thought we'd bring in lawyer Jasmine Dea, who's a lawyer, author, blogger, podcaster, and public speaker. Good morning, Jasmine. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so we heard that news this week from the feds that coronavirus vaccine makers are shielded from liability, which is apparently very common, but I think it puts people on a little bit more edge when they hear something like this. It makes you kind of worried, doesn't it? It does. However, with that news uh, came some very good news, and that is that the federal government has announced that they will be implementing a vaccine injury compensation program, which is a no-fault scheme. At present, Canada, with the exception of Quebec, is the only G7 country that does not have such a program. And what that does is, is enable individuals who develop adverse effects from a vaccine to have compensation in the form of a no-fault program, meaning they don't have to go to court, they don't have to start a lawsuit, they don't have to wait years for any form of compensation, that there will be something available to help those individuals. Okay, so the the, uh, plan is in place and uh, uh, the wheels are in motion, so to speak. But let's uh, break down the vaccine, you know, specifically when it comes to those who want to take it, those who are on the fence. Can we, and we've heard from every level of government that it won't be made mandatory, but if, if that was the case, and again, uh, just to hypothetically speaking, could we as citizens of a country or region actually be forced to take a vaccine? So you are correct in that Canada has stated that no, they will not make the ma- uh, the vaccine mandatory. However, we are in unchartered territory. Uh, I think that the approach that Canada is taking right now is the right one. If they tried to make it mandatory, it could raise a lot of skepticism. And as we know, there's been a lot of conspiracy theories about this Mm -hmm. vaccine spread over social media. Um, You know, if there is an attempt to say, okay, all Canadians must take this vaccine, you're going to increase that negative perception that's already a little bit out there. Um, There's also going to be huge legal challenges by individuals saying that uh, you can't do this. It's not appropriate. It's against our religion. You're taking away our rights and freedoms. So although the intention of the government, if they try to make it mandatory, is because they want to try to protect Canadians, try to create herd immunity, they're going to they're going to face huge legal challenges, which may actually result in it taking longer to get everyone vaccinated. Yeah. Okay. So Jasmine, then on that note, we know governments all saying no, but we are hearing that businesses might start to implement rules, whether it's an airline, for example, or something like that. So can a business refuse? for us to work there, shop there, fly with them if we don't take the vaccine? So everything that you stated, each area that you stated has their own set of legal challenges. So in terms of employers, because that's what a lot of people are concerned about Mm -hmm. immediately right now, um, because you've got a lot of people working from home, working remotely, uh, you know, and the question is, are employers going to make us take this vaccine before we return to work? So the short answer is, No, they can't make it mandatory without opening themselves up to huge potential liability issues. So from um, the perspective of administering the vaccine, if you make employees 
uh, take this vaccine, you have to make it available to them. And right now, we're just starting to get shipments of these doses of vaccine available as we've just seen approval. Uh, so, you know, that's problem number one. You, may, you might have a PR nightmare on your hands um, because you might be trying to take away individuals' rights and freedoms. Um, so there's a whole host of issues. If there is any sort of mandate for this vaccine with certain areas of employment, you might see it in specific areas, such as those that do cross-border work that are going back and forth to the U.S. or those that work in long-term care homes. In terms of shopping, uh, can a shop make you take this vaccine before you enter? Um, it is arguably private property, so they do have a say. But at the same time, I don't think that they will have um, an easy time in making that argument from a legal perspective. And then you have to look at the economic perspective. Businesses are literally on the brink of bankruptcy, if not already bankrupt, uh, with the rolling lockdowns and closures. And I don't think they're going to want to add this extra hurdle. Although the government has implemented programs such as SECRA and Sears with the uh, commercial leases to help businesses and uh, the Canadian uh, small business loans, you know, it's just it just hasn't been enough. In terms of travel, a whole other set of issues. You have jurisdictional issues. How do you enforce this if you're flying people from here to there? Um, I think that that's where there's a lot more uncertainty as to what we'll see compared to looking at employers and shops in Canada. I think that over time we're going to see what travel looks like, and it's just too soon to know from a legal perspective what we'll see. What about, and again, uh, all uh, looking ahead and, and uh, you know, best guess, if you will, but what about private functions like a wedding, hearing that, you know, people might be asking folks that they want to invite to get a vaccine in order to attend the wedding or, you know, maybe the uh, wedding company, uh, the organizers or, or venues. Um, can they do that? Or is that just kind of a, when it's a, a private event like that, is it up to the organizers or could they be open to a legal challenge? So they are also opening themselves up to potential liability. You are correct in that if you've got um, a private event, you can ask people to get this vaccine. However, if someone gets a vaccine and they have a negative adverse effect, we've seen with the Pfizer vaccine in the U.S. that some of the trials um, indicated that some individuals develop Bell's palsy. We've seen some allergic reactions with the Pfizer vaccine due to the ingredients and in people that have these types of um, reactions to these types of ingredients. So if you make people get this vaccine and they develop these types of adverse effects, you are certainly opening yourself up to liability. Really interesting conversation, boy. And I know as the days go on, we're going to have more and more questions for you. We'll hopefully have you back again, Jasmine, to chat more about it. Because I know, especially here in Alberta, we see the numbers, the stats, right? We're in this province, we are the most unlikely of any other province to want to take this vaccine. So I'm sure there'll be more questions coming forward. It will be my pleasure to visit you again and chat more about this. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. That is Jasmine Dea, lawyer at Jasmine Dea and Company, and uh, it's jdlawyers.ca if you have any questions. 909, Calgary-based author Valerie Dunsmore has just released her first book, Rabbit, Rabbit, Rabbit. It's inspired by her family's own experiences with mental health. It's described as a spellbinding novel about one girl's unusual journey to self-realization and family healing. Good morning, Valerie. Thanks for joining us. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me on this morning. Well, talk to us. Tell us a little bit about the premise of this new book. I mean, we can give a line or two here that we were reading in reviews, but uh, you got down and dirty with it. This is your baby. Tell us about it. A Rabbit, Rabbit, Rabbit is the story of Lily Nelson. She's a 10-year-old girl whose father comes back into her life unexpectedly, and his return brings an old and familiar darkness into the household. And this takes a toll on Lily and her sister and her mother, and the darkness manifests as rage, addiction, and madness. So Lily blames her father for the family's misery and uses a newfound power to help banish him forever. So it's really a journey where Lily learns the cost of hatred, the nature of healing, and the delicate balance between saving her loved ones and saving herself. A fairly complex story, Valerie, and I understand your experiences play a role in the novel, so let's talk about your inspiration to put pen to paper. Yeah, through my own personal experiences with mental health, that's an important topic for me. And I also enjoy writing stories of the heroine's journey. That's a passion of mine, and I wanted to bring these two topics together and that brought me to Lily and Lily copes with her mental health by using the only tools she has available to her and in the novel that's imagination magic ancestral knowledge and nature and the story was inspired by the questions I asked myself during this time and one of the questions was how do children with limited family support or resources how are they coping with mental health challenges Sometimes bringing uh, life experiences into your writing can really, you know, put life to it because you've got that inspiration behind you. What were you doing before this? This is your very first book. So how, what led you to this point? Well, I've been a writer uh, for a very long time, but this is my first novel. And nine years ago, I decided to start this book. And I'm a mother of three children, so I used to get up at five in the morning, and I'd write for a couple hours, and I'd take my kids to school, and I'd come home and write some more, and I did that. I lived in that world for nine years and worked with lots of editors, mentors, and writers along the way, and I'm so proud that the book took nine years because I think it needed that time for the layers and the depth of it, and so far it's received very uh, excellent reviews, So you and tell- I'm really happy. Are you telling us that it's not an overnight success, that it wasn't that you you sat down on a weekend and uh, banged this book out? No, this was a labor of love for sure. You know what? Saying you have three kids pretty much explains (laughs) everything to so many of us, right? Uh, What's it like now to be a published author? Is it uh, more in the making then? Yes, yes, I have. um, My passion is really to write uh, the heroine's journey. And because that's different than the hero's journey, like because for example, the Herod's journey is an inward journey, and I feel those stories are so important to tell. So I have another one in the works. Uh, the first draft has been written, and yeah, I'm just uh, promoting this one, and then I'll get back to my mornings and days writing at my desk. I would think, and you've mentioned that it's uh, garnered some good reviews, rabbit, 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 but I would think anything you create, well, how did it feel when the first regular person, not a family or, or a friend or, or somebody in the industry read your work, but a, just an average person read uh, Rabbit, Rabbit, Rabbit and got back to you with feedback? What did that feel like? It felt magical. It, just to have someone send me a text and I wanted to make the reader feel like they were in the world with me and they could see it, they could smell it, they could touch it. And so that's the text I got initially was I was in the world with you and I didn't want the book to end. And so those two things, yeah, it was very exciting after nine years.
great Christmas gift, perhaps for someone stocking under the tree or just for a gift for yourself, I think. Can we get it in stores, Valerie, or just online? It's not in stores yet, but it's uh, on it's on the online book retailers, and it's also on my website, ValerieDunsmore.com. Okay, perfect. Congratulations. Uh, proud to have a, a Calgary author who is uh, making good, and, and book two will be watching for that. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. That is Calgary author Valerie Dunsmore. Again, ValerieDunsmore.com, and this book is called Rabbit, Rabbit, Rabbit. And I, I've asked uh, other authors that question because... It's fine, and I would think that, you know, if a friend says, can you read my work? And even when your, your child does, you know, you, you look at it, and if it's your child, you say, wow, I'm impressed, you know, mm-hmm. that my child could write this. But to have a complete stranger look at it, technically, it's, it's an art form when you think about being a writer. To connect with a complete stranger with your thoughts and your words. Powerful. I can't even imagine. She called it magical. And, uh, you know, again, this, uh, on, to the, on to the second novel. I can't even imagine. I have trouble... You know, when it comes to the creative process, I get stumped. I get what's probably writer's block in five seconds. And something shiny over here. Yeah, there's that. I can yep. watch TV or have a snack, you know. <laughs> anyway, and very interesting stuff. Love it. A great book uh, that you might want to check out this holiday season while you've got some time off, perhaps. Hey, uh, a few things we wanted to mention. Lots of stuff going on, on the go. Mm-hmm. But this one is the Amazon uh, Prime feature now. If you have Amazon Prime, and let's face it, most of us have, have you know, one or ten now uh, some subscriptions to yes. TV out there. So if you have Amazon Prime, and you're watching TV, you can actually now watch with your friends or your family from your own homes, but watch together. I think this is really, really cool that they've done this. Called this, Prime Video's Watch Party. Yeah, this brings about a few things all 2020, you know, with the Zoom meetings and uh, mm-hmm. meeting with friends online and uh, lots of streaming, lots of catching up. And so many people, like I love watching stuff alone, you know, because it's quiet, I can choose whatever. But so many people, it's a shared experience. You don't have to be in the same house anymore. Obviously, you can't if they're friends and they're family members, you know, on other sides of the world, you don't have to be on the same couch. I, you know, we don't get to spend Christmas with our family and friends now. So maybe this is a way to kind of have fun, have snacks and watch a movie together. You have separate accounts and join the watch party, favorite movie, TV series, whatever it is. But you stream content in real time together and you can communicate with each other through their interactive chat feature yes. at the same time. So that's kind of the cool part. But that's it, what right? I don't want to be. I don't want to be communicating during a movie. <laughs> it's such a, such Listen, a some people do. millennial thing. And I Ugh. haven't asked you. And, and again, you're going to uh, be off for a couple of days and I'm off for a couple of days. I won't get the chance to ask you this. Is there that one Christmas movie that you cannot get into the holiday spirit or you cannot let the holidays pass you by without watching with the family or alone? Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? I do love anything to do with the Grinch. So the classic or the new one or the Jim Carrey one, any of those. I love the Grinch. But as a family, we always watch Elf. Elf. That's, that's a must. Will Ferrell. It's just so funny. The kids love it. Yeah. You know, it's just a good movie. It is such a good movie. John Favreau uh, directed it. I think he wrote it, perhaps, even. And, uh, you know, Polar Express, one in our house. Oh, I love that one, too. That's good. Uh, but the, is that your fave with my, the my, family? Polar with Express? the family, yes. Alone. Yours? It's, Can you say it on the it's, air? It's Scrooged with Bill Murray. <laughs> and it is such a different take on A Christmas Carol. It's so funny. That's Bill fair. Murray is fantastic. If you've not seen that movie... You're really missing out. Just close your eyes and uh, you'll and picture Andrew Schultz in that role, and it's. I don't know if that's a compliment because it's yeah, a great I mean movie with, and he's I very mean that funny. With all the Christmas or love. It's an insult. Bah humbug. <laughs>